It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Ken Thorison actually returning to the show for the second time. He's the president of Acumen Management Group, an author of several books on sales, sales management, hiring, personal development. Ken, welcome back to the show. Hey, Andy, it's great to hear your voice, and I'm excited to be able to be asked back for a second time. Yeah, well, I mean, we had such a good time the first time. I thought we had to do it again. And uh, maybe just take a minute, if people maybe who didn't have an opportunity to listen to the first episode, uh, introduce yourself a little bit more fully, what you do and who you do it to. Well, uh, Acumen Management started 19 years ago, and the primary focus when it started uh, was to really work on the weak link of most organizations, and that tends to be sales management, sales leadership in that role. So we've dedicated ourselves with uh, workshops, blogs, books around how to improve the, the sales manager from leading an organization to sales compensation planning to recruiting and hiring a high-performance team. And my latest book is called Jam Slammed for the First Time Sales Manager. So we're really uh, involved in helping that role. We also provide keynote programs at many sales conferences. Yeah, so it's interesting. You're talking about your most recent book, Slammed. And it's a topic that there has been sort of this influx of books over the last year or so about sales managers. I mean, you've got uh, Dave Brock just came out with his sales manager survival guide. You've got Slammed, uh, Mike Weinberg with his uh, sales manager and Simplified, all sort of geared for, in large part, for that that new sales manager. So what were you seeing that said, okay, this is really a need that needs to be addressed? Well, after seeing hundreds of these people uh, throughout the world on what happens, and I get called into a situation and the sales manager that they'd hired is not working as well as they want. So they, they had me come in and diagnose. And generally what we saw was that they were promoted from a salesperson's role without sale, uh, with any kind of management training, let alone sales management training. And what they ended up doing was uh, wanting to serve the salespeople, solve problems. Uh, and it's a classic role of the sales manager having to serve salespeople, help achieve revenue, but they're a middle manager because they have to inter- interface with their peer managers and also report to the president or board of directors. So all of a sudden, they have a hundred different things going on, and their to-do list gets two and a half pages long, and they just can't get anything done, and they get slammed after about four months to six months because they're spinning their wheels. They haven't set priorities. They haven't understood leadership versus management. They haven't understand sales management systems to make and leverage their time, and they really fail to plan their own business plan and sales plan for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they're uh, they're on a treadmill, and that's why a lot of people fail, uh, and why we've frankly been highly successful over the last 19 years of, of addressing that issue. I, as a vice president of sales, I saw that happen, uh, and I, that's one of the reasons I started my company. There's a lot of people providing quality sales training, which is great. Uh, but not a, uh, well, there was not a focus around really training that sales manager 
uh, on the five styles of leadership, the five styles of management, how to coach, how to run a Monday morning sales meeting, how to build a quarterly sales training program for their salespeople. So all of the systems were missing in a lot of organizations. All right. So if you had to summarize, what is the single sort of biggest challenge facing a sales manager today? What is it? Their inability to build a formula or a process. Uh, in order to replicate and be successful, uh, a new sales manager or any sales manager has to think about how do I make life easy for my salespeople, but also for myself so I can focus on execution. My tagline for my company is building organizations to the execution of strategic sales management. I like to use the example of Subway Sandwich. When you walk into Subway, they go, six inch or 12. And then they walk you through that production line of putting on the spinach, the cheese, the sauce, the meat, uh, and sell you a chocolate chip cookie at the end. They are a fine-tuned organization focused on execution. Most sales organizations do not have all those pieces in place or the salespeople are not well enough trained to have a process. So this is not, this is not a new problem. This is, this is the ever, ever, ever been problem for sales managers. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing new uh, in any of that. It's a matter of uh, the sales manager not being exposed to other organizations who run really well uh, because they've grown up in an organization that this is how we do it, and they haven't been exposed to how professional sales managers do sales planning, how they manage and hold accountable their salespeople, what kind of discipline they need to build. Uh, I use a quote from uh, happened to be the coach from the University of Tennessee, who said most players do not show up and perform at 100 to 110% every day. It's the coach's job to build the right level of intensity. So there's the emotional side of sales management as well as the process side of sales management. Let's talk about the emotional side for a second. Um, before I hop into our, our main topic of conversation is... is you know, what, what's, what's a, and you know, I certainly understand in football, you come to practice, there's a certain amount of rah-rah and so on. Um, what's the sales manager do to set the right emotional tone for the team? Uh, interesting. I, I spoke about this recently at a, uh, a keynote event up in Chicago. And what we were really talking about is sales manager making sure that they can, and I use the phrase, align the, align the soul of the individual with the goal of the corporation. And what I mean by that, <laughs> love, is, that is to make sure that there is a belief system that the salespeople believe in the company, believe in the product or service, and believe in how they can impact their clients through that. So there's, there's issues around how do I build belief? How do I build excitement? And, and the classic line is, if it, if it isn't fun, it isn't selling. Too many times sales managers, especially new ones, get caught up in tracking activity, uh, trying to build something and, and run around all day trying to close deals. Well, it's not the sales manager's job to make quota. It's the salesperson's job. The sales manager's job is to hire the right people, create the energy, intensity, emotional belief, uh, and have them well-trained to be able to execute on the business plan. And so the sales manager needs to think about what I call tribal stories, where uh, they tell all the salespeople about how good the company is, when we saved our client, when we did this issue. I like to bring in once a quarter, I recommend that you bring in a client to a sales meeting or a company meeting with all the employees, depending on the size of the organization, and have that client testify 
to how good the product or service was from the company. So people get to hear it, believe it, and be able to energize with it. Most high-performing salespeople leave organizations when they lose faith in the organization. Mm -hmm. And too many times, sales managers forget that I've got to make sure it's fun. I got to create the right level of emotion and belief, uh, and I got to make sure there's high levels of energy. And you don't do that through uh, taking a whip out and, and being very factory oriented. You've got to get people wanting to come to work, having the right intensity to, to work opportunities smarter, and to be able to excel and do the things that most salespeople don't do. Okay. Well, that's that's a great segue into one of the things I want to speak with you about, which is sales hiring. I mean, you've written a book on this called Your Sales Management Guru's Guide to Recruiting High-Performance Sales Teams. So why why is hiring such a difficult task for sales managers to get right? Lots of reasons, and that's why I wrote the book. Uh, but the first element uh, is they do not consider recruiting part of their marketing plan. So we like to suggest to our clients that they create a sales recruiting marketing plan. What does that mean? Well, just like any marketing plan, it's diversified. I want to maybe be on the internet. I may be in the, we like to suggest as boring is to put an ad in your local business section, uh, display ad every 60 days, whether you're hiring or not. The key issue is that generally the high performing salespeople may not be looking when you want to hire somebody. So you've got to build a 12 month campaign always to be out in front of the, your audience. When you go to a trade show, you recruit at the trade show. You don't work the booth if you're the sales manager. You're looking around looking for talent at that trade show. If you're uh, interviewing people uh, on a day-to-day -day basis or you're running an ad on, on a uh, website, bulletin board, you have to be able to look and see what happens in all those areas. So first of all, quantity and activity from a marketing campaign is critical. Number two, it's hard because they haven't prepared a sales presentation as to why you want to come to my company. In college football, recruiting is a major issue. And if you have a top 10 recruiting class, you're going to get the top 10 four-star and five-star football players. Same idea that they have to have a good sales presentation to be able to get those guys there. And then it gets back into um, hiring and building a sales process or sales interviewing process. Well, I think that one of the things you bring in your, bring out in your book relatively early on in it is that, and I see this all the time with with companies, is they hiring managers they take the path of least resistance to hiring people, and it's you know not looking at strategic. You talk about this term you use, downward hiring, um, which I think is really to me sort of the critical thing that that I see happen time and time again. And maybe why don't you explain what the downward hiring is in your perspective and, and how you remedy that. Um. It's really a formula we talk about is if you're really good, what I call A's, hire A's people. But if you're average and you're a B performer from an interviewer perspective, uh, you hire C's. And if you're a C and not very good, you hire F's. Uh, and, and so it's very important that you improve your skills. For example, in the interviewing process, generally in the first three to four minutes, you make up your mind whether you like the person or you don't. And therefore, you start to ask questions differently. You assume issues. You have to remain skeptical in the interviewing process. Number two, my rule is for every one salesperson you hire, you have to interview five people. And you see people get lazy. They hire somebody. They see somebody. They have a hole. I got to fill it. They fill it. 
And eight months later, they shake their head and said, why did I hire Andy? Uh, well, they never thought that about Andy. But, <laughs> but yeah, I use, I've written about this. I use a baseball analogy. I say, you know, when it comes to hiring and interviewing is you never swing at the first pitch. Good point. And here's a number that a lot of people don't know that uh, if you mishire somebody, it costs you generally four times what you paid that person during their stay. And I have a whole formula that uh, mm-hmm. I, I found. It's a research item, but it's really expensive for that mishire. In your time, lost sales, training costs, everything thrown into that. So there are some statistics around it. And you also want to make sure that you have at least three people in your company interview each candidate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even take a step back because I mean, you have a fairly lengthy description about uh, how to write a job description and uh, job specifications, which I think is where a lot of the problem starts for, for sales managers because if they're shortcutting that as part of the process, obviously they're going to shortcut other things. But it seems to me like one of the real issues in sales hiring these days is lack of alignment with the needs of the customer, meaning that when people you know put together job descriptions they put together ads or you know marketing materials and so on is is we're still relying on these outdated stereotyped characteristics of behaviors you know we're a hunter closer you know the aggressive types and these outgoing which have nothing to do with the performance of the job yeah and i think it's important to really that's why i actually added the the job description idea or what i call sales person expectations so that there's a clear under, understanding of what you want that salesperson to do, what type of clients or prospects are they calling on, what you uh, what they need to have from a previous work experience, what they need from a style perspective. Uh, for example, uh, in a company I, I ran from a sales management perspective, we were a vertically aligned company. We had people who sold into credit unions. We had people who sold medical solutions and people who sold construction and distribution kind of elements. In our analysis, the top 10 performing salespeople in each of those markets had a different personality style, uh, a different sales style. But we could see a commonality between the top 10 in each of those segments. So as we started looking for more salespeople in those individual segments, we had a profile of what the potential ideal salesperson would be. So one of the things I talk about in the book is coming up with the five uh, work ex- previous work experiences that are going to be ideal for that role, and the five, as you said, kind of characteristics of that person, not hunter or closer, but uh, what kinds of personality, what kind of relationships, what kind of style are they, and would those 10 words fit into what I call the interview scorecard. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into the scorecard here in a second, it's, it, but this idea of, I agree, is the characteristics should be much more about you know, empathetic, problem solver, responsive, curious, rather than, like I said, I urge managers listening to this, get rid of, you know, delete the word hunter from your vocabulary. It, yeah, and it, I, it, doesn't, the, it doesn't have a role. I, I agree with you. And I think it's uh, critical. And that's why you have to be very careful uh, as a sales manager as, as to what sales assessment profiles, tests that you use. Some are cer- certainly some are personality style, which give you a, some idea. But there are some really good tools out there that talk about um, can this person sell, and is this the type of person and profile we really want based upon some of the things you're talking about. 
I don't sell them, so I'm being very independent when I say that. But if you're not using some of those kinds of tools, you can't see below the surface of the individual or look inside. All right. Well, let's get back to that here in a second. I just want to finish up talking about, uh, you talk about four steps to build the right profile. And you talked about experiences, characteristics. Um, but you said you want to also crowdsource this to some degree, too. It's, and I think this is a really important point for managers is to say, you know, it's not just about what you think, but you talk about making sure you ask other senior management, you ask people in the sales team, you can even ask customers. Yeah, one of the, I think absolutely, one of the recommendations we make for a lot of our clients based on what their issues are is to create a customer advisory council <clears throat> where we meet with five to six clients at least three to five times a year. And in those meetings, we discuss everything from marketing strategies, trends within the industry, ideas of what they like in their best salespeople, um, the salespeople who call on them, what they expect from salespeople, get some real-world utilization of what's working. The second thing that we really, really push a lot, and, and depending upon the marketplace that the client is in, is to talk to their fellow uh, business people that they know in their industry. I happen to be up in a client's office today that's in a, a large distribution channel with resellers all over the, the world, but all over the U.S. And we really suggest when you're in that kind of environment is to you pick up the phone when you go to a national conference, <clears throat> buttonhole five, six, other people who sell similar products and services you are that are non-competitive and ask them about what they're using, what characteristics are they seeing in their top salespeople, and be able to find out how other people do it. Don't try to reinvent the wheel yourself. Look and find out from other people what they like, what they found to be successful, so you can build that ideal salesperson profile. Yeah, and I th again, I use the word crowdsource. I mean, I think it's, it's there's the wisdom of having more than one input into that, and too often sales managers say, oh yeah, this is what we need, this is what we've hired in the past, we're just going to go down this path again. And that'd be a real mistake. Especially, as you said, given the price is four times, I've seen statistics seven times the cost of, of the annual salary, what you paid somebody with a mistake in hiring. I mean, it's, you can't really afford to make casual mistakes these days in this process. Especially um, with the hard problem of finding salespeople. It's the number one problem in, in the business today is <clears throat> recruiting effectively and then more importantly, and we'll talk later about onboarding, but that's a, that's a real critical success factor. Let's, let's dig into that for a second though. Is, is, is one of the issues perhaps and one of the problems is that we're looking too narrowly. I mean, when, when the companies are recruiting, is they're looking just at salespeople. I mean, it's, it's, I work with a lot of companies in the technology field. You know, I encourage them to look at engineers, look at software developers, look at other people that have, have some expertise that relates to what they do as potential candidates to bring into their sales team. Yeah, it, that, I don't disagree with that at all. I think the issue that you have to look at is, and in, in from a broad-based audience, you know, what is the product or service you're representing? How complex it is? Uh, who are the type of people you have to try to influence um, you know, is it a CEO sale or is it a middle manager sale or is it a production manager kind of sale? Um, and then so you start to identify your audience and what the people need to know. But then it's important to understand 
the individuals you're talking to. One of the best salespeople I knew was an accounting major. Uh, and he came out of college with an accounting, accounting degree. Uh, and he was outstanding. Pretty much uh, a pretty quiet person, not the effervescent, glowing uh, salesperson you think about. Highly effective because he understood what the market was. He could communicate well. And he had a drive for success. So I don't have a problem looking out. The second issue that you have to think about, depending upon the size of your organization, can you afford to train that person, to get that person up to speed? Uh, do you have the resources to train that person? And so it's based on the size of the company, uh, resources you have to get that person on board, up to speed, and successful in a time frame that you can afford. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's, it's trade-offs, right? I mean, you can hire... Uh, a sales professional that maybe has no domain expertise and you're going to have to train them in domain expertise. You may hire somebody with domain expertise but less sales experience. You might have to support them on the sales side. Yeah, is the ramp up different from one from the other? Yeah, there's a tendency to say, well, it's, gosh, much longer ramp up if you're trying to teach somebody how to sell. And I'm not sure that's the case. That certainly has not been my experience. That's You're right. And that's why in some of the sales assessment tools that are available, and, and I use a variety based on the need. Uh, one I, I use that, again, I don't represent it, but they ask this person 50 questions. And they say, out of these four answers, what's your number one best choice, your number two best choice? And they, based on the uh, knowledge base and experience of the assessment, they can validate whether this person has a chance uh, to be a successful salesperson or not. And well, so there's w- ways to do that as well as in, during the interview process as well. All right. Well, let's talk about the interview process because the assessments are part of that. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think there's value in using assessments. But, but my experience has been that they're just a data point that you can't rely them on them for the sort of the go-no-go decision. I know some companies uh, do. They say, well, yeah, this person doesn't – if they don't score above a certain score on this assessment – um, then, yeah, there's, we're screening them out. I understand that. I mean, there's a certain time efficiency factor associated with that. But, you know, I, I'm a little leery about that. It's a sand wedge in your bag. Uh, it's one more club that you can use to uh, improve the quality of your decision. So I, I, it's not a go or no-go issue in my mind at all. Uh, over time, the most important, important part of the assessment, by the way, is when the person leaves due to not being successful, and you go back and read the assessment a second or third time, and you find out that Ken Thorson was weak in an area that I missed during the interview. I missed it on the, on the assessment, and every person we've hired is always weak in that area, so it becomes a red flag going forward. So. Uh, it's one more tool. There are a lot of other ways to t- deal with that. In the book, we talk about having a case study where it's a sales scenario and you hand it to the salesperson and you say, read this 300-word case study and send me an email back on how you would respond if you were a salesperson. We're testing how creative they are. We're testing how articulate or how well they write, uh, how detailed they may be or too detailed, not enough detail, and how they would hand it. Those are little ideas that a lot of people don't use. Well, I, think, I, think t- I think testing is absolutely essential, and you know more so than ever, given that it seems like it's uh, I don't know it, it seems like it's easier for people to sort of misrepresent themselves these days, even though it's easier to check to see whether they have. But 
uh, I think it's absolutely critical that if there's some vital skill that you've identified in your job specification, as you described it, or job description that that someone needs to have is, as you alluded to earlier, as I talk about, is you know, interview is no place for trust. Uh, you know, it's uh, to use the Reagan expression, you're gonna maybe trust but verify. <laughs> yeah, is is you have to test. As you talk about, you know, you give people the opportunity to do a presentation. I've been doing that for a long time. And I you know, talk about example and something I've written about uh, at a client where looking for a director of sales. One of the things the director of sales needed to do was it was a relatively small, small organization, needed to be pretty self-sufficient, but it's also going to be out presenting the clients. So we would have the, when we did our first screen of candidates and they're coming in for the interview is in that interview, we would put them in a conference room with a laptop and a data sheet and say, you've got 15 minutes, we're going to come back, give us a short, you know, two to three minute pitch on this product. And it freaked 90% of the people out. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important. I, I tell you, if that person can't stand up and be able to dance that well, then depending upon your sale and who you're selling to, what your product and service is, you're going to find a weak link in that area somewhere. Uh, and I think that's an important element to have to see how well they can command an audience. Because as a sales manager, you're selling your sales team as much as you may be helping sell a prospect. Uh, and so commanding that audience, whoever that audience is, is a critical element. Normally, I'll do that towards the end where we have two candidates left for a sales manager, for an example, or a large executive type sale. And we want that to kind of help be a dividing factor. We also believe in testing in a social environment if your sale requires that. So we'll suggest that the president or maybe the president and a couple salespeople take the candidate out for uh, lunch, breakfast, or socially. And just to see how they interact with each other, how they can command a conversation, how they uh, relax or not relax, and be able to develop rapport. Yeah, well, I, I, this whole topic, and I think for people listening, if you're responsible for hiring, this word test is really critical. And, yeah, you know, we gave three examples of it. You talk about presentation, a case study, socially, I think is a, another great thing. It's have to find out you're investing all this time and money in this person in this role you have to find out whether they can do what you need to have done well the things i like to say is hire slow fire fast but the key issue if you find an andy paul walking through your door then it's important that you take him through your interview process you may accelerate that interview process uh, because you want to capture him but do not miss a step When you have a sales process, the reason you have a sales process is to ensure you build trust and confidence, you cover the bases, and you have an opportunity to improve your odds to win. You have an interviewing process for the same exact reason. Yeah. Well, and and there is a a flip side to the interviewing process, which is the buying process on the part of the the candidate. And yeah, if you skip steps, it's just like with your customers. If they don't. When people go through a buying process, they don't skip steps in their buying process. Um, you know, and you're, you're going to have a, a sort of this disconnect with your candidates if you do that. Um, one thing people always want to know, and, and you talk about this in your book, are great interview questions. And you talk about questions that measure competence and commitment. 
Do you have examples of, of questions that you like to ask that sort of assess either competence or, or commitment, as you talked about? Well, you're going to pick my brain now on those. Uh, that's great. Uh, well, there's a lot of them. But one of the questions I like to suggest is that, um, Andy, we have two opportunities. We have an opportunity working with our existing customer base. Uh, and upgrading and selling those individuals, or we have an opportunity to work a territory building uh, net new business. Which of those uh, marketplaces do you feel you'd be most competent in? Obviously, I'm trying to test there because I'm looking for somebody net new. If they say I want to work with existing customers, that's a red flag and I got to go further. Mm -hmm. Number two, the question I like to ask is, well, Andy, do you have a lot of friends a lot of good friends, or you do have just a few really good friends. Most hunters, as you use that word, uh, they uh, have very few friends. Um, they are focused, uh, and they also have a, a loyalty factor there, and they're not the effervescent person who wants to be liked by everybody but can't close anybody. Um, so you, you, those are some of the things I kind of probe at. Now, I also talk about sometimes I'll ask questions about, uh, commitment as far as uh, w how well and how do they keep up on their competition? Because the people who are really high performers know their competition. They study the competition. They'll know who the competitive salesperson might be. Um, and they'll talk about how they study it and review the websites and understand the associations of the industries and how they stay up to speed. One of the last questions I ask them sometimes are, what was the last good sales book you read? Uh, and you'll find that top performers will stay on top of that, um, and they'll mention your book or they'll mention some other book, uh, and that'll be a, a way that I also get a sense of whether they're really on top of it. True professionals are always learning, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's an important element. Yeah, and I, I asked that same question, but I, I qualified a little further. I say, what sales book have you read in the last 30 days? Good point, good point. Because <laughs> if they read it two years ago, not as impressive as if they read it uh, 30 days. Because we really want, I want to find people that are coming to an organization that, yeah, they're reading a book a month. That'd be fine. Mm -hmm. Now, in my own personal life, I read a fun book, a, a business book, a fun book, a business book. Like you said, there's been a lot of books coming out this year. And uh, I've been doing book reviews on my blog on a lot of them just to keep people up to date on what I find are really quality books. Uh, and I think it's important that you read that. In fact, one of the uh, recommendations I make a lot to our clients, and I just did it this morning here where I am today, is that they start a book club. So mm -hmm. twice a year, they buy a book for all, one book for all their salespeople, and they spend 15 minutes every Monday morning, if that's when they have their sales meeting, discussing two chapters in that book. Um, and it's a way for them to really continue to enhance the quality of their salespeople. Well, one thing, and that's a great a great thing to do, and I've got some clients that we've actually, we're going a step further in that we're doing book clubs, but they are um, basically a book a month. And what the company, the client has committed to do, because this is one of my bugaboos is, yeah, we, we want people to be continually be learning, but we want them to do it on their own time, is they're dedicating 15 minutes a day for people to read. Oh, wow. During the workday, 15 minutes. Wow. And, you know, they've gone through, this year, they've gone through 10 books. They're going to actually go through 11, not 12. But, um, 
and some pretty you know, deep books, and but all about sales, sales marketing, customer decision making, so on. And the cost of doing that compared to hiring a trainer to come in for a day. It's less than the cost of hiring a trainer oh, yeah. to come in for a day. And you get, the re- you get the reinforcement opportunity built in. And that's part of where a salesperson said, wow, this company is investing in me. And that's part of that belief issue of saying, yeah. hey, this is a pretty good place to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just think about just the sheer value compared to a one-day, a two-day training session versus being exposed to high-quality material over the course of a year at a level of depth. They're going to take away so much more from that than they would from the training that, uh, yeah, I'm having a number of clients make that trade-off. So, so Ken, the last segment of the show, we've got some standard questions to ask all my, all my guests. Um, and actually, just a number of sort of rapid-fire questions for you. Uh, we'll spare you the, the hypothetical <laughs> scenario that you asked the answer the last time. So, you know, here's, it's, it's, ironically, this is a question that, that sort of came up before. Is the first one is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or to teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? Well, since it's a political year, I might say it depends. Um, <laughs> the, uh, if you, honestly, it's easier if the technical person has the aptitude to teach that person in my mind, because depending upon the technology and how technical your product is, let me obviously got to qualify that. Assuming you have a technical complex sale, if that person has the aptitude, you can do that. For an example, uh, early on, I had a a person who was working with us. He was a technical person. He wanted to move into sales. Um, And we said, okay, we're going to test you, but if you don't make it, you're going to, you'll be let go. Uh, There's not a fallback position in the technical world. Mm -hmm. And, and while I liked the guy, he had a great relationship. He was perfect for demoing products, and that's why he thought he could sell. But he didn't have the aptitude to go out and talk to people, to work a deal, to ask for the order, to move it through the sales cycle. Um, so I, I go back to the aptitude and the assessment and the test. Do they have the fire? Do they have the initiative to make that happen? If I have a complex product, it's easier for them to understand it because they – come from a background of understanding how the product works, but also what it does for the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and therefore, they can relate to the benefits and issues. But if they don't have the initiative to, to prospect or to think through how to work an opportunity, I would go that way. Okay. Good. Good answer. So, uh, next question. And I guess since you said you do a fun alternate fun book, business book. So, what's one literary book? that every salesperson should read? One literary book. Oh, that's a great question. Um, Wow. I'm trying to think of what, uh, oh, I read um, The Light Shineth Bar, I think it is. I think that's the name of it. Just finished it this summer. And it's about World War I. um, And it talks about how people, how this, this, these people worked, survived, and had a will to live. Uh, and it talked about the will to succeed, the will to live. And it, that's just off the top of my head. That really struck me is how these people had to fight, work, uh, and, and were devastated in many areas, but they survived. And took place in, in Europe, then, I take it? It took place in Europe. So the light shineth. I think that's what it's called. 
I'm looking it up as we. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's a good one. I was just thinking through all the ones I've read in the last year. So and the, the, that, light, it, the light shineth in darkness? Hey, that may be it. That might be it, yes. Yes, yes, because the girl was blind. Um, and she was uh, one of the heroines in the book. Okay. All right. Uh, next question then. So if there's one thing that you could change about your business self, what would it be? My business self. Patience. Um, in that I tend to uh, like to move things along. I like to be able to uh, execute faster. And I have to wait uh, sometimes for change to occur with my clients because they can't absorb or execute the 25 things they need to fix. Um, and so I think that's part of what I would think about my business self and that uh, I can walk in after the number of clients I've had and the number of years in the business and exposure to hundreds of situations that I can pretty much see 16 things that need to be fixed in the first day. Um, and then we have to plot out a project plan that gives them enough time to absorb, to educate, and to operationalize my recommendations. Okay. So more patience. There you go. All right. So last one is, what's your favorite quotation or words of, of wisdom that you live by? That's easy. Uh, I have two, but uh, the first one that hit me was, take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. Take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. And Most organizations have about eight. Oh, go ahead. Well, do we know who that's by? Or? I don't. Okay. I picked it up. I was sitting in Port, in Puerto Rico uh, in an airport, and an old English gentleman gave that to me. As I was talking to a couple of the people on my team, um, he overheard us talking about a sales convention we had down there and uh, gave me that. And I've used that a lot. Um, and it, it really happens because most individuals and most companies sometimes have a, a window of opportunity that might be 18 months long. Or it may be, you know, two days long. And it's funny, I just used that this week, weekend, as I was presiding over a ceremony of two people who were moving in together. Uh, this gentleman uh, went to a party and saw a particular woman. Uh, they were having a scavenger hunt. He picked her out of the lineup. They went on the scavenger hunt. And six months later, they built a house together. They're moving in together. He took advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. No, I like it. I like it. Okay, great. So that was the last question. So, Ken, thanks again for being on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about you. Oh, thanks. Uh, certainly on my website at acumenmanagement.com acumenmanagement.com. You can find uh, some free resources. There's a white paper out there on the top 40 actions a sales manager should take. There's some uh, free materials out there and free videos that you can take a look at at how to hire, how to interview. There's an assessment tool for your sales compensation plans if you want to look at it out there. Or my blog is called Your Sales Management Guru, YourSalesManagementGuru.com. All right. Ken, thanks again. And remember, friends, thank you for spending part of your day with us. And remember to make it a part of your daily routine every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that, take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Ken Thorison, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. 
So thanks for joining me, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.